Hey creator, I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. And before we get started with today's podcast on the hidden dangers of not having an ADA compliant website, I'm gonna give you five tips on how not to get sued. I wanted to talk to you about my new website, iancorzine.com. There I give you some free social media law guides ebooks, e-publications on how to make better videos, better music, better podcasts for all your social media needs. I also have the ability to offer you one-on-one consults so that you can come and speak to me directly and get one-on-one advice for all your social media law questions. And you can join the Copyright Club on my website. There you'll have access to my masterclass on copyright fair use, trademark, and other business subjects. You'll have front row access to my monthly live streams, and you'll be able to ask questions there about all your social media law questions. So for all that, come to iancorzine.com. I'll be happy to see you there. Let's hit this. Are you ready? It's live from Los Angeles. It's your social media lawyer, Ian Corzine. Welcome to the Social Media Law Podcast. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer. In this podcast, I give you legal tips and tricks for social media creators out there just like you. Today, I'm discussing one of the most provocative subjects out there. I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. It's the Americans with Disabilities Act, and it's very long and detailed act, but a lot of people are suffering a lot of harm now by not complying with the ADA in terms of their website and they're getting sued. I don't want to lie to you. There's some real dangers out there for not complying with the ADA when you publish your website. We're going to get into that in today's podcast, those dangers, and I'm going to give you my five tips for avoiding potential penalties and lawsuits that go along with failing to comply with the Americans for Dis- with Disabilities Act. So uh, before we get into that, I just want to let you know you can contact me at any time at podcast at iancorzine.com, or you can always hit me up on Twitter at iancorzine. Before we get into the dangers of not complying with the ADA in terms of your website, I wanted to go into a little bit of the history of the ADA so that you understand the context of why this particular federal law obligates us people that have websites to comply with this law. So the first thing we want to talk about is when the ADA was passed. It was passed back in 1990. I remember it specifically. That was back when uh, President Bush was in office. Uh, And there's a real push at that point in time because many people with disabilities were not being treated fairly under the law. And this was the first comprehensive civil rights law that addressed the needs of people with disabilities. You know, it prohibited discrimination in employment. Um, it, It allowed access to public services for people with disabilities. It uh, created the concept of public accommodations, uh, not only for federal, state, and local offices, but also for the private sector. It made better access for people with disabilities for various telecommunications, um, whether it be you know uh, private telecommunications or governmental communications. And there are some cases uh, that uh, happened in the past 20 years or so that really shaped uh, the formation of the ADA and the Department of Justice interpretation of the ADA. The first one I want to talk about was uh, in 1993, there was this big case 
where a union, a large union, had a disability insurance program. Um, and then what, what basically happened was in certain situations where people were facing life-threatening diseases or injuries, there was a total volume payout uh, that the disability insurance program had. So if you were going to, you know, you had terminal cancer or something similar to that, there would be a payout for you um, that could be used, obviously, for your treatment in the interim, but also could be for your heirs. And in this particular disability insurance program, uh, in this case, um, it allocated only $50,000 for lifetime benefits to AIDS patients. Uh, and yet, it, it, for more catastrophic injuries, for uh, f- catastrophic physical injuries, the uh, payout was five hundred thousand dollars, and so there was a major disparity between the fifty and the and the five hundred thousand um, dollars. And each patient um, brought a lawsuit under the ADA and was able to recover substantially from this disability insurance um, uh, company um, for disparity in benefits. This is one of the major, kind of the first lawsuits that really formed the ADA and also showed that it had teeth in, in uh, private society. The same year, uh, there was a security firm uh, that employed a gentleman who was able to perform all the essential job functions of his duty. The problem, of course, was that he was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, and because of this diagnosis, he was fired. It had nothing to do with his job performance. And so a lawsuit was brought under the ADA in this, loss, in this particular case, uh, and the security car, uh, firm was found liable uh, for back pay and various damages because they fired, they wrongfully fired this individual who could do the job, uh, but unfortunately had this horrible diagnosis. A few years later, Walmart made headlines when they refused to hire a person in a wheelchair. The person could perform all the essential job functions and job duties Uh, of a Walmart greeter. The only issue was the person was in a wheelchair. Uh, And Walmart refused to hire this person. And this was a landmark uh, verdict. There was a $3.5 million award for punitive damages in this case. It was later reduced. But this, again, showed the public that the ADA was nothing to be messed with and that people Uh, could not discriminate based upon disability in the private sector, in the hiring process. The next one that we want to talk about was uh, a couple years ago, uh, Chuck E. Cheese was found liable um, for $13 million in punitive damages when it fired a manager who was mentally challenged. The regional director was quoted as saying, we don't employ these kinds of people. Uh, That definitely inflamed the jury and they made a huge uh, award of punitive damages and further cemented the legacy of the ADA. In 2010, the Department of Justice basically made a pronouncement that they were interpreting the ADA to apply to websites. Uh, The basic reason for this was that over time, increasingly, websites and the internet were the only conduit for necessary information for people in society. My, My main example that I think about when I think about that is tax forms. You know, uh, in the old days, if you didn't have the right tax forms, you'd either have to go to a governmental office, or you'd have to mail for them and have them mail mail them back. These days, every single tax form that you possibly could need could be at your fingertips immediately uh, on your desktop or your your uh, mobile platform. But if you don't have access, you don't have the means. Uh, you can't see. You can't hear. You can't. Uh, maybe your your arms don't work. 
um, then you are, have, you are in a serious problem and you can't get these tax forms. So the Department of Justice was concerned at this point in time, and they were making their, the point that even though the ADA doesn't mention in the statute at all websites, it was important for people with disabilities to be able to use the internet to get the information that they needed, and they wanted to make it known that the private sector was included in this. Sometimes in the private sector, necessary information is only online. And I'm thinking about examples like Wikipedia. One of the main values of Wikipedia is that it is online and that it is editable online so that contributors can make their changes to the various stories that are there and people can access those real time. So that's in one example of where the private sector provides information that really wouldn't be accessible or usable in any other form than the internet. Another example is online sales. Uh, I was thinking of Amazon. You know, some places are so, so remote that Amazon is a main conduit for essential goods and sometimes services. And if you don't have an Amazon website that is accessible to disabled people, then you have a real denial of opportunities that America affords its, its citizens. And it's also important to understand that the ADA is a federal law, but states have also passed their own laws. I'm thinking about California and the UNRACT. Uh, there are also penalties in this statute uh, for failure to comply with the ADA, for failure to comply with the standards set forth in the act. So you need to make your website accessible to disabled persons. It is beyond dispute. It is the law. You know, one of the things to understand to get some context is what disabled people have to go through in order to access websites um, there are a, a number of different assistive technologies out there, such as screen readers, uh, text enlargement software, and refreshable braille displays, and also apps on your computer, which are readily available even on uh, the standard software, uh, where the computer itself will read the words on the screen. So people who cannot see can actually hear those words and hear words on websites. Websites that don't take into account uh, these various uh, uh, hardware and software uh, peripherals are stopping the information to disabled people. So it's really, really important that your website be able to cooperate with these apps, with this hardware, so that disabled people can access the information on your website. And if you don't, there's some really serious consequences. You know, I hate to, again, I don't want to scare anybody, but penalties for the ADA are substantial. If you are brought into court by a person, a disabled person, a person that's accusing you uh, of not having a compliant website, your first violation is punishable by a $75,000 fine. Any subsequent violation is punishable by a $150,000 fine. And that doesn't even take into account the situation when you lose the lawsuit, right? And you have to pay the other side's attorney's fees. Uh, that doesn't take into account any other damages or any injunctions against you. So there's some very serious consequences to violating the ADA, and you don't want to face them. So what can you do? You can follow my five tips for making your website ADA compliant. So there are some serious consequences to not following the ADA and not making your website ADA compliant. You don't want to face those consequences. So what do you do? Well, you can follow my tips for making your website ADA compliant. I talked at the beginning about my five tips, and in this podcast, I'm going to give you my five tips. However, 
I also put together a written checklist that you can download at a link in the show notes. And I don't just give you five tips. I actually give you seven tips. Uh, I, I learned a couple more secrets to complying with the ADA for one of my clients. I can't share it in this podcast, but I can share it on the, on the checklist. So be sure and going down to the show notes and download uh, my checklist for making your website ADA compliant. But in the interim, let's talk about my first tip, tip number one. My first tip is designed to comply with the DOJ guidelines, which really talk about the four components of making your website ADA compliant. Your website must be perceivable, it must be operable, it must be understandable, and it must be robust. It must be uh, pronounced, it must be easy to use, uh, things must be easy to read, uh, there must be instructions and things so that people with disabilities can access the information on your website. And tip number one is to select your website graphics carefully. If you have images that flash uh, on the screen, sometimes marketing websites have images that flash to try to get, you know, draw people's attention. You should not have your images flash for more than three times per second. Otherwise, it could induce a seizure in certain people. So it's really important not to have super duper flashing uh, graphics on your websites. All photos, I mean all photos, all video should have accurate descriptions and I advise to have captions actually on the websites themselves. You should bake these descriptions into the metadata in the code of your website. Tip number two is to have alt text captions and readable fonts on your website. Every single image, video, any, any component of your website should have alt text. And alt text is basically um, coding. It, it's words that describe the images, the videos, the sounds in your website that's inside the coding of your website. You probably, a lot of people don't want to, don't have the sophistication to be able to do it themselves. So you should talk to your web designer to be able to include this alt text in your website. Um, but this is absolutely vital so that the screen readers, so that the braille refreshers, those things can go through your website and be able to pull this text out and be able to communicate it to people with disabilities. I also recommend that you use very readable fonts and use it at high point sizes. Uh, if you can do it, 12 point, 14 point, make your websites easy to read. Listen, it helps people who can see just fine, but it really helps people who have a difficulty in seeing. And so I recommend fonts like Georgia, Times New Roman, Arial, Open Sans. These fonts are the fonts that should be used on your website. There's also been a study done and to make things more readable uh, on the internet and on your desktop and on your mobile phone, it's best to have a light background and dark text. That's the easiest to see for anyone, let alone people with disabilities. And so that's what I would recommend you do on your websites. I know that I do it on my website. Tip number three is to logically organize your website features. So use large icons. Uh, buttons that are going to be pushed on your website. Make them big. Make them easy to use. Make them describe. Don't just have a button without text on it. And I always advise that people actually have instructions on how to use their website. Sometimes their uh, web designers are able to include little pop-ups that show that make it easier for people to use your website. Sometimes you just have a description. You have a page that's uh, instructions for your website. But anything you can do uh, to make it easier for disabled persons, and frankly, I hate to be 
I don't know, um, like a litigator here, but it also helps your case in case you're ever sued for an ADA violation if you said, listen, Your Honor, not only do I have big fonts, they're easy to read, I have a light background, the buttons are big, but I actually have instructions that are accessible, um, text instructions uh, for people with disabled uh, or with disabilities who can access and read how to use my website. So it's, it's again, I hate to say it, but it's better evidence um, to be able to support your case if you're ever sued for an ADA violation. Tip number four is to use standard HTML tags. So the website should be readable by an assistive reader. So you don't wanna do a thing where the text on your website is not a typical HTML text, it's, it's, it's graphic text. That cannot be construed by screen readers. It, it, it cannot be uh, read by braille refreshers. So you need to be able to use HTML tags and text throughout your website so these programs can actually use it and read it. The other thing is when you include a PDF document uh, that's downloadable on your website, let's say it's an ebook or something like that, you need to make it accessible not only in the PDF form, the beautiful graphical form, you also need to make that document available as a text file, a TXT file. That way screen readers uh, and refreshers can actually read those documents that you want people to download, and that information can be transmitted to people with disabilities. Tip number five is that your website must be usable with a keyboard alone. You know, a lot of times, especially in our new technology, we're doing touchscreens all the time. Um, you, it's perfectly fine to have touchscreen use, uh, obviously mouse use, but your website should be able to be used merely with a keyboard. Some people don't have the ability, they can't grab a mouse, they can't use a touchscreen, and they have to be able to communicate with their computer through their voice. And the easiest way for people who need to control their computer with their voice is when your website functions through the keyboard. So the tab function, or the let's say you have a video on it, you have to be able to stop playing in the video by pushing the space bar. So you need to make sure, and you work with your web designer, your web developer, to make sure that your website can be completely functionable, can be completely used, with just the keyboard, not uh, a mouse or a touchscreen. All right, so those are my five tips for making your website ADA compliant. Just remember that my free checklist can be downloaded by going down to the show notes and clicking on that link, and you can have these things in writing, and that way you can check them off as you go through your own website and, and really avoid any potential for future lawsuits. I would hate to see you guys get in a situation where you're being sued for ADA violation, it's happening all the time. I made a video on it recently on YouTube. Uh, you can watch that on youtube.com. But I would really hate for you to have to face that problem. So be sure and download that free checklist and use these tips so that you can avoid uh, ADA lawsuits. Hope you got some value of today's talk. By the way, as a reminder, iancorzine.com is up and running and I would love for you to join me there. If you need more advice, if you need skills to help you kill it on social media, go to iancorzine.com. And please remember to subscribe to the Social Media Law Podcast with Ian Corzine. If you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's termed now, that would be great. All right, that's enough for today. I'm Ian Corzine, your social media lawyer, and I'll see you next week.